Greetings and salutations, my fellow geeks, and welcome to episode 10 of the Okie Geek Podcast. I'm Michael Cross, along with Devin Green, Joshua Unruh, and Chase Harvick. Can you believe it? Episode 10. 10. We've already made it to 10. And we haven't jumped the shark. We haven't jumped the shark yet. <laughs> we haven't talked about jumping the shark. We discussed it, but we haven't done it. Yeah, it's it was suggested to me that if we are doing that much thinking about Joss Whedon that we may have jumped the shark already. <laughs> to the person who said that to me, I said, well, that would assume that we had any quality to start with. Oh, burn. <laughs> Which I'm not prepared, I'm not prepared to guarantee. Don't so. want to go there yet. <laughs> well, this week we wanted to talk about books, which is just about every geek loves, regardless of genre. Uh, before we start, I wanted to thank Devin on her fantastic blog post on this subject. If you haven't read it, I suggest you pause this podcast right now and do so. It should be required reading for all book nerds. It was wonderfully done, Devin. Thank I, you. I thank you so much for it. Yeah, we. I appreciate it. Was it. it was pleasure. excellent. It was my pleasure. Uh, so we are going to start with you, Devin. Ha ha. And the question for all of you is, what are you reading right now? Or what have you recently finished reading? I actually can't stop thinking about Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Um, that is her, it's the ST period, John Mandel. Um, it's a bestseller, uh, last time I checked. And um, it's a post-apocalyptic, but it's got a twist and a beautifully obscure Star Trek reference in it. So bonus, bonus. <laughs> um, but it's just fabulously well-written and, and not your typical post-apocalyptic, you know, the world has gone to trash and here's how we survive it. It's it's. 20 years after and it's much more of a lyrical that's kind of the backdrop mm-hmm. to to what you're experiencing and um it is it's just fantastic and it's um to sum it up it's a it's a band of travelers who stop at every kind of outpost that that remains and perform Shakespeare oh. and um what's written on the side of their caravan is because survival is insufficient and that's the not to start Check. Um, actually, a Voyager, to be specific. Um, and well, traveling players back in the middle, middle Ages. Yeah, and they find that people 20 years post-apocalypse apocalypse respond much more vibrantly to Shakespeare, and they, they hypothesize about this all the time through the book as to why, because they have a, a whole repertoire to work from. But they find that maybe the tie-in is that Shakespeare was working in a post-plague Mm-hmm. world and this is obviously a, a parallel to that and so they they find that this is kind of like a universal language of you know a civilization having gone through a drastic change and that it it resonates with them in a way that contemporary things don't so that's kind of a sum up um it's got it's it's action-packed it's not you know all just you know, them traveling from outpost to outpost, but it is, I, I just, I can't stop thinking about it. I think it's wonderful. So that's probably the stellar one I've read um, in the past like, couple of weeks. Josh, what's your big one right now that you're reading? I'm, I'm currently in the middle of Teenagers from Outer Space. I'm sorry, Teenagers from the Future. I apologize. Teenagers from Outer <laughs> Space is a different thing. Uh, Teenagers from the Future, it's a set of essays on the Legion of Superheroes. Um, so it's a bunch of people thinking way too hard about 50 years of comic book history i know everyone will be shocked that this is how i've chosen to spend my spare time i'm floored (laughs) (laughs) this essay is from the legion of superheroes essays about the legion of superheroes that's interesting 
uh, let me see. I'm, I'm looking for my my table of contents now, so I can give a good um, like some of the some of the folks in it. I mean, there's there's a uh, um, the foreword is by Matt Fraction, who's recently you know doing a very sci-fi version of the Odyssey. Um, um, uh, he just came off of Hawkeye with. Uh, um, Aja okay, was that's main, yeah, that's yeah. that's Matt. Fr that Matt Fraction did the the foreword. There's um, a couple of comic book bloggers that are in there, like uh, uh, Chris Sims from Comics Alliance and nice. um, uh, Scipio Garling from the Absorbiscon, uh, who who had just an amazing essay that looked at uh, the JSA, the Justice Society of America mm -hmm. from the '40s, as a bunch of uh, talented amateurs and the justice league as a paramilitary organization <laughs> and that it's the legion that that not in the fiction but outside of the fiction it's the legion that bridged that gap for the readers right like they started out as one and turned into the other one anyway it's uh yeah it's uh it's absolutely fascinating um it's there's a scientist i forget his name but it, like that is his job is uh is science and he um talks about how the legion was really impactful in him because they would do these sort of scientific, like scientific enough MacGyver style, right? For, like, that's true, but you might be taking it to an illogical extreme to make your sci-fi thing work. Um, and then he plays with ways that like the flight ring might actually make people fly. And yeah, it's without ever getting so dry that I'm, that I'm bored. So yeah, highly recommended teenagers from the future. Teenagers from the future. Chase, what do you got? Michael, when our listeners hear what I'm about to say, they're going to want to turn off the show <laughs> because it sounds really, really boring. But Give Chase the benefit of the doubt, listeners. Please, please, I'm begging you. It's one of the most, it's a 3,000 page, four part volume, and there's a fifth part yet to come. It's, you know, you know, it's like one part history, one part Game of Thrones, one part House of Cards. It's, but it's absolutely true. It's Robert Caro's The Years of LBJ. And really? Yeah, I'm reading the fourth book right now. I've read all three, I, and I'm heartbroken because I'm halfway through the fourth, and the fifth one's not out yet. He's working on it. He has spent, and it makes me feel like a slacker. He started this thing when he was about my age. He was, you know, about 30 when he started. He's 80 years old now. He spent almost 35 years wow. researching. He moved to Texas with his family, and he understands something about history that I don't think anyone else is. It's context. And is each book a year? No. Because, I mean, LBJ was only in for five years. It's his whole life. Actually, the oh, first okay. two so chapters. Oh, okay, so it's not just his wow. presidency. It's not just nope. his presidency. Okay, good, good. The first two chapters of the first book are how his family came to Texas, how they rose to prominence and then fell into poverty, and then he's born. And, you know, his father was a big guy in the Texas legislature and fell on hard times and— you know, they actually had to move, and he lived in this basically a shack, and, you know, he was ridiculed as a child, you know, because it's schadenfreude embodied, you know. Yeah. But Robert Caro does something, you know, he understands that history is, you know, context is so critical, and it's mm -hmm. not just LBJ's story. You know, when he's talking about the guy he ran against for Senate, Coke Stevens, you have a chapter or two about Coke Stevens, his life, when he's talking about Sam Rayburn, the legendary Texas Speaker of the House, you have a chapter about Sam Rayburn. And, you know, LBJ is part hero, part villain. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's like Kevin Spacey. I mean, a little bit. I mean, I think the first season of House of Cards shows him reading one of the years of LBJ books. So it's referenced in the show. And I think that they steal those themes. But terrifically written, compelling. It's not just the best historical biography I've ever written. It might be one of the best books I've ever written. Wow. So, but wow. it is... We're at about 3,000 pages right now. 
So with the at the fourth, oh, yeah, with the fourth book, yeah, and he and, and I just read the part. We were just at the the Kennedy assassination. So the last half of the fourth book is the first, I think, month in office. You know, go up to the State of the Union, and then so the fifth book will actually be the bulk of the presidency. Lyndon Johnson's yeah, presidency. and he has made commitments that the fifth book will be it. There will, <laughs> I'm going to get I the rest of his story in that book. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Read it, please, because nice. I feel like I know so much more. You know, being from Oklahoma, I feel like, you know, we have a rivalry with Texas, but we are very similar oh, culturally, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, historically. I, it really, to. it resonates. Yeah. I mean, I'm from kind of a small, th- it really resonates the theme. So that's, that's probably, thank you for hanging in with my, my riveting the tale. L- LBJ. Yes. I'll check that one out. No, that sounds great. History. It's fantastic. I, I love it. No. I love did, it I, did I do a good job of selling yeah. it? I yeah, hope I did. did. Okay. I'm, I'm right now having a little argument with myself about how good your salesmanship was versus 3,000 pages. I was going to say versus I mean, the doorstop. That's a really big. You know what? <laughs> I, I Okay. I'm not, I don't work, I'm not affiliated with Amazon, but they have a new thing called WhisperSync. You pay $5 more for the Kindle version. It gives you the, the Audible version and mm-hmm. it automatically switches back and forth. So it ought, keeps you up to date with you know, if you switch from audio to print, you're always where you were. Oh, so, wow. Um, that's how I do it. Yeah, Listen cool. and read. Amazon's gotten amazing with their, yeah. what's going on electronically. Yes. It's, it's been, fantastic. Been incredible. Well, mine, uh, right now I am actually currently reading the Maze Runner trilogy, but that's only because uh, the book came, the movie came out. I finally saw the movie and went, well, this is interesting. I'd rather see how the books actually look and they're kind of fun. But uh, so I'm on the second book of that right now and it's fun. But the biggest thing that I finished reading recently was ready player one. And if you haven't read this yet, it is amazing. It takes place about 20 years into our 20 years from our future right now. And it's not post-apocalyptic. I think that sometimes gets overused. There is nothing apocalyptic. The world's not doing well. This was written in 2011 and from, uh, the way it was, the way it was written, the author wrote it was that the recession was still going on. So that's how bad it's been. It's been 30 years or 20 years. The recession is still going on. People are living horribly. It does take place. It starts out in Oklahoma City. And it starts out on, down on Portland and Reno is where he lives in a stack full of mobile homes. Instead of making mobile home parks, they started building them on top of each other. So they were like skyscrapers of mobile homes. And it's that very, sounds incredibly safe. Yes. And, and well, and, and, it, and it gets kind of dangerous at one point yeah. because of that. But the, the biggest thing is that a guy dies who has created a virtual reality and he was born about our time and is a huge 80s fan, loved everything that had to do with the 80s and created a video game. And a, once he died, he created a contest to win his fortune and to do that, you basically had to go and relive the 80s and relive 80s pop culture. And so the entire book is 80s pop culture from the music to the video games mm-hmm. to Dungeons and Dragons to just everything 80s. And, oh, it took me back. It was so wonderful. It was so amazing. There's references to Rush. Uh, there's references to Dungeons and Dragons as far as uh, some of the old modules. It's just an incredibly fun book, and and I highly recommend it. Everyone's been talking about it. It will be a movie in 2017, so I think I think the 80s are coming back. I I think the, I'm so excited. As you know, as long as we can have today's technology and and not have Ronald Reagan in office, then you know that's okay. 
we could actually enjoy the. I love the music. I love the things that were going on. Uh, so, yeah, and the and the movie references things like War Games. Uh, it's it's just some great. If you love the '80s, and if you're you know you'll you will absolutely enjoy Ready Player One. It's a lot of fun. I loved your review of it on the on Thank the you. blog. I, I really I have it on reserve at the library because yeah. of your review. So I'm. Is I'll he, be able to weigh on it when I get it. So. Yeah, I read it a couple of years ago. Um, I don't know. I don't know why, because it was way before they were talking about movies. Yeah. Um, and they, I kind of have some ups and downs with the actual with the actual story of it. Mm-hmm. But as far as figuring out a completely believable way to do a future story that is mired mm-hmm. in '80s, mm-hmm. you know, trivia. Um, that is a masterstroke of world building. Like, how, I want to do a future story, but I want it to be about all the stuff that I already. It, it, yeah, it's really that was a really was impressive clever. move. Yeah, and I, and I think for those people who didn't get the references, wouldn't get the references. I think I don't think there was a well, and I, there were some, some things I didn't even get, uh, especially the video games. I'm not a big video <clears> game <throat> person, so some of the video games he mentioned I didn't quite get. So. He explains it. I, there's almost every. There's no reference that he makes in it that he doesn't give a good enough explanation to where if you don't remember this thing in the '80s or you don't remember the '80s at all, you can still read it and have a good time. Nice. And that's kind of nice. A lot of a lot of authors don't always do that. True. Sometimes they have mm-hmm. the reference in there, and hopefully you get it. If not, they move on. You know. So, so the next question is. Uh, let's start with you, Josh. Besides comic books. <laughs> Uh, what were the first books which led you down the path of being a geek? Um, that is, that's tough. Uh, probably, uh, probably Tolkien, like probably the Lord of the Rings. Cause they're just kind of ubiquitous. Like you cannot, you know, you can't get away from them. Um, but as, f- but that feels like background radiation. Like there was no way that I was going to be into any of the kinds of stuff that I was into without that happening. Right. I, I think my first big, I am strike like I'm taking steps on my own initiative in, into this area, probably Robert E. Howard's Conan. Okay. Uh, because I, that kind of, that wrecked Tolkien for me. I just didn't care anymore about epic fantasy when I could have swords and sandals and grit and that kind of thing. And then also uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally picked up from the library on a lark. Because, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd never heard of it. I mean, I mean, you know, this is pre-internet time. So yeah. there's no, um, I am somewhat isolated the, the geek culture I had was it, right? Mm-hmm. Like closed system kind of thing. So I'd never heard of it. Um, it was, uh, I, I mean, this is so early in that whole, like things being really readily available. I, my first audiobook was So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. And I was not driving around listening to it. I'm listening to it in my room because the library didn't have a copy right. of So Long and Thanks for mm-hmm. All the Fish in as a book. I had to get the, the, the tapes. That was how my first, that was my only option for my first read through of uh, of that part of the, the series. So, yeah, probably, yeah, somewhere in between. And there's probably something very deep to be said about my personality that cuts the the crevice between Robert E. Howard and uh, and Douglas Adams. <laughs> yeah, but the whole, that does kind probably. of stretch the you know the, the, oh, the, yeah. pretty much from one one side of the spectrum to the other. <clears throat> Chase, what about you? Well. I was kind of a scholastic geek. I don't know yeah. if you guys remember these. They used to give the uh, every month you'd get a little flyer and it'd have all the yeah. new scholastic books. Absolutely. If you ordered four, 
You got a fifth month for free. Yes, I do yeah. remember that. Yeah. So I was, yeah, about five a month churning through. Oh I did, um, I know, I know. Those were so dorky. I had a closet full of goosebumps and oh, animals. Right on. Yeah. And they were fantastic. Animorphs, well, you know, it's kind of been forgotten. I, I think they're actually making a Jack Black Goosebumps movie that's going to come out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw it. Well, it's, 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 yeah. it's sort of Goosebumps, but it does also, he's playing R.L. Stein. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the trailer for it when we went Very to cool. go see uh, one of the movies this weekend. I hope it's good. I don't know. It's, it's probably for kids, of course. But like, Animorphs is really dark at, at times. I remember even as a kid feeling like, this is probably too grown up mm-hmm. for me. Maybe I should, you know, and I was like, eh. Let's plow on through. They put it in the scholastic thing. Yeah. What could go wrong? How about get a beat? No, no, no. But I mean, it had everything. It had, you know, angsty teens, and you had the alien technology, and you had the government. And I mean, it was just a lot of kind of hot button issues for geekdom, and I I loved it. So that's right. Yeah. How many of those Animorph books have you read? Probably all of them. I think they're about 54. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, there are dozens. Like, they are whole... I, because I've, I've been in, like, the, the younger reader section of the library with my son. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, they are shelves, well, plural, of library... I mean, it's I know they like, may have one or two copies sure. or whatever, but, I mean, there's I, a ton I, of them. I, have, I abandoned them about seventh grade. But I'm just, you know, maybe sixth grade. But, you know, from third to sixth, mm-hmm. I was way into it. I, I don't know. It's kind of like Power Rangers. I, th- I think it's still on. I, I could say I've seen all the Power Rangers, but I haven't seen the past 20 years. That yeah. might be the, <laughs> that know. might be the thing. Yeah. It might have just continued on ever since. Yeah. Were, yeah so. Having worked in a bookstore, I can tell you those are still hot. Animals? Hot, hot animals. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like, can't keep them on the shelves, and there are shelves of them. You know yeah. what's funny, though? The first book I ever remember... <clears throat> loving as a kid was you know it wasn't really geeky at all it was the little house it was a 1946 caldecott book that my mom found she's like you should read this and it it was so sad it was this little house and it was in the country and it wanted to live in the city because every night it could see the the city lights in the background it's like i want to live in the city and then you know the lights got closer and closer and Eventually, the house was between two skyscrapers and abandoned and dilapidated. And it's like, I just want to live in the country. I just want to live in the country. Yeah, basically, <laughs> the Caldecott means a punch in the feels. Yeah. Like oh, the, my gosh. That sounds just, like it's set in Oklahoma City. That's a rule. Yeah. <laughs> but the, and then, like, the, the great... Any place in Edmond is... Yeah. 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 Right. The great, great grandson of the person who built the house is like, you know, that looks like a picture. And so they, they find the house, they buy it, and then they move it back the country so it's had a happy ending it was just a sweet little kids book but you don't put it on balloons and fly it over that's that's no that would have been sky that's too pixar but i just you know storytelling and uh illustration was were so strong and mm. i don't know sorry mm. that's, that's really not cool. geek centric no it's okay that's yeah, just, it's like, a whatever like, gets you into loving books I yeah whatever got you reading Devin? we had a, a whole history of the stuff which you were into what else did you what else got you into being a geek oh goodness um God, sorry. It's read the hard. blog first it's, off. That's, that's, yeah, that's, I was going to say, read is... that blog post and you'll get a, a feel for it. Um, I remember um, pulling my mom's Stephen King books off the shelf when I was probably way too young to be exposed to some stuff. Cujo, um, <laughs> uh, which terrified my mother because she was a young mother and it, it had far more of an effect on her. I, you know, I, I was compelled by the story. I still think it's one of his worst, but, you know, that probably got me, you know, into genre into understanding there are genres of fiction mm-hmm. um but um i'd have to say hitchhiker's guide probably was my first like sci-fi you know unless actually vonnegut and i he gets shelved in the sci-fi 
and he hated it, but it, it really does, you know, deal a lot with parallel dimensions oh. or time travel oh, or Cat's Cradle is still yeah. one of my oh. favorite oh my gosh. Favorite books of yeah. all time. That it yeah. Oh, Cat's Cradle is that and Galapagos yeah. just on the very, very top of the heap. But um so either but it's a toss up between Bonnegat and Adams are were probably my first like kind of tiptoeing into the genre and then of course I discovered Heinlein and Arthur C. Clarke and, you know, that and it I was sold. So anything, you know, horror, sci-fi, just any any of that that I could get my hands on, I'd read. So. Yeah, so my, my first was Lord of the Rings. My father read The Hobbit to me and read Lord of the Rings even before I was really able to read. And mm. so it, it, it got into me. The thing I, I, th- I think about The Lord of the Rings was it... What a lot of people forget about this because they don't realize that before the Lord of the Rings, there was nothing. Nothing existed like this. The problem is that it's kind of like watching old I Love Lucy's episodes. They're funny, but you look at them and go, but every sitcom since then has used every one Mm -hmm. of these tropes. That's the problem with the Lord of the Rings is that the reason you see every other fantasy book in this is because every other fantasy book has stolen from Lord of the Rings. And so I go back to it as, at least if nothing else, the originator. If no other fantasy would be, even not only even any post-apocalyptic book would be where it is right now without J.R.R. Tolkien's books, The Lord of the Rings. So that's, that's where I love. But my, the one that really got me into it was something called The Chronicles of Pryden by Lloyd Alexander. Oh, yeah. And it was, when I was maybe 10 years old, somebody handed me the book of three. And I went, what is this? I said, read this. And so I re- and read through it so fast. The Book of Three, the, and then they made a movie of, called The Black Cauldron, which mm-hmm. is actually the second book, which Disney had basically crammed the first book and the second book into one movie. Uh, but the, the Black Cauldron, The Castle of Lear, Tehran Wanderer, and The High King. And it all takes place with this main character named Tehran and his journey from being like 13 years old all the way up to being a man. And it is all taken from Celtic myths, and it is gorgeous. And if you have a child, I highly recommend. No, I had forgotten those existed, but I had a similar. Weren't they amazing? They're great. They're very good. And I have to interject here. I forgot completely until you said that. Um, When the Tripods Came by John Christopher. Does anyone else? Yes. I oh, read those. okay. You want to talk lock, stock, and lock me into sci-fi? Yes. My eighth grade teacher handed me those separately, as kind of like Harrison Bergeron in my in my essay, handed me those separately and said, "I think you'll like these." And, dude, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are incredible post-apocalyptic fiction, and they're they're young adult fiction about a race um, taking over the earth and three. It's basically a family. It's yeah. a, a dad and his two sons uh-huh. trying to, which is so much so that when this Noah Wiley show on TNT came out, I looked at that and went, um, that's tripods. Dude, <laughs> They've right? stolen completely yeah, from completely the show. Yeah, they completely A father that. and two sons in an, in an alien invasion uh-huh. show. And even they even kind of look like the tripod. Yeah. Like somebody, and they're really? taking it off on their own. Stole this from yeah, and it was totally. a great British. Uh, it was a British. They were British books, weren't mm-hmm, they? Mm-hmm. And I yes, I and totally forgot are, about you just mentioned. Them. And they are fabulous. Yes. I mean, they they stand up like it, it, they're they're young adult, but worth the read. They're wonderful. Yeah, I so, highly recommend. Yeah, those. that is that is the moment. If I have to like pinpoint it, that was when I was yes, I love I'm books. in. Yeah, they're good. TNT knows drama. That's all you got to say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if they can steal it, sure. Um, finally, uh, out of any genre, 
Chase, we're going to go to you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what are uh, what it doesn't no matter the general genre. What are the books you would recommend most to our listeners? Uh, the book that I've probably read most in my life, probably six or seven times, would be Orwell's 1984. I feel like you know it's a pretty quick read, but it's very compelling and. I discovered it, I think, like most people in junior high or high school, and you're kind of going through that angsty, society, you don't know, you don't know me, <laughs> thing that really taps into it. But, you know, I feel like it kind of, it, as I've grown, I think the book has, you find different themes, you're able to relate to it on a different level, and, you know, yeah, even though the love story, I think, is kind of underdeveloped in the book, it's um, it's vivid, universe building is so cool, and so that would be, yeah, 1984, George Orwell, really anything mm-hmm. by Orwell. Yeah. So, but 1984. Josh. Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep. I read it once a year at least. And it is, I, I think I've said something like this before on, a, on an episode. It is not exaggerating to say that discovering The Big Sleep changed my life. Um, it was my first look at noir fiction. I had been a... Like uh, Arthur Conan Doyle and um, Agatha Christie reader, like a mystery reader before. Uh, and I, I think it's Dashiell Hammett that said this, not Chandler, but he said that I, I'm going to give murders back to people who would actually commit murders. Mm. Um, that kind of, you know, that kind of approach where, where things are just, they're just pretty bleak. Like it's just, it's a... Uh, um, that's not even fair. Noir is a whole other issue. So, yeah. <laughs> but that hard-boiled detective fiction was such a um, um, like I I can remember that I I I was going on vacation with my family, so I I went to the library to get a book, and I and I got a Raymond Chandler collection because it was big, right? Like we were going to do the 13, 14 hour drive. I needed, you know, um, they'd say you can take one book, so I I had to get the big one. I couldn't like pack a bag of books, and so I grabbed this. What? You know, on nothing. And so it's it's dark. We start at night because we drive, you know, drive through the night and I'm back there with my little itty bitty book light. And literally the the first I could almost quote it to you, the the first couple of paragraphs. Um, like I had never run into a, anything like it before. And I knew this was completely different than every other detective story or mystery that I had read and that it was going to be for me. Mm-hmm. And mm. yeah, so yeah. there we are. The big yeah. sleep. I get it. Devin. And I know I've plugged it before. Um, Dark Tower trilogy. I mean, Dark Tower series That's by right. Stephen King. Yes, I I read it <laughs> once every couple of years. Hi, Stephen King's my favorite from Stephen King is when he does not go horror. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in Dark Towers. Of Bag of the, Bones, yeah. if you want a one-off, Bag of Bones is absolutely fantastic. And again, not not tiptoeing into the horror genre, but definitely not, you know, Big scary monster. Was right. it um, was was Dark Tower or like originally or was it a trilogy for a really long time? Because I hear people do that. There were seven a lot. years between books four and five. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So and there was probably a stretch where Dark Tower trilogy actually. Well, it, it makes it me seemed, laugh it because like well, was going to be he a was in a car wreck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, too yeah, 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 in that yeah, yeah, yeah. time, he was hit, so, he was hit by a car. He, well, he wasn't he, in the car. He was yeah. jogging and got hit. Right, and well, yeah, he was in yeah. an accident, and yeah. so there was this seven-year gap of waiting. And if you knew of them before, you waited seven years for those. Yeah. It, and, just and, and, and feared very much that and he was going very to much die that he wasn't he was going before. to finish yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. When when you do that, it reminds me. I have like a twenty-five probably year old copy of. 
of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy nice. that says the increasingly misnamed yes. Hitchhiker's it Guide trilogy. It always makes you think of that, yeah. Yeah, whenever you do that, it just makes yeah. me um, Another one, just... <laughs> I can't help it. Just to actually tie back to Ready Player One, you made me think of this. Um, I recently got to interview, and well, I, I beforehand read, it's a book um, published by an Oklahoma author called The Long and Far Away Gone, and it's by Lou Burney, and I will plug him. He teaches the MFA program at OCU, and um, it is a fantastic mystery that takes place simultaneously in 1983 Oklahoma City and current day. Mm-hmm. And so not only is it a great mystery, it's also a really compelling view of how our city has evolved and changed from the perspective of someone who left and came back. And it is just really compelling. So I highly recommend you pick it up. Oh, that's really great. At your local bookstore. I, it's at the library. You know, it, Lou Burney, he's, and everything he's written is great, but this one particularly resounds with, you know, Oklahoma Cityans. So, yeah. yeah. Well, my, of course, I'm Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I recommend everybody pick that up, watch, read it. Uh, I, I think, if nothing else, you don't necessarily have to read all of them. It's great because it finally does follow a good storyline for all four, four, four books. Five I books? think four I'm going to go out and say you can skip... Um, mostly harmless yes because mm-hmm. he uh douglas adams even admitted years later okay that one might have been a little dark you guys i was getting divorced and uh <laughs> my life was, <laughs> was kind of terrible because i can time. remember at the time reading it going wow this yeah, does this... not make me happy no this i'm, I'm, I'm not really i'm not this really is... guffawing like i used to yeah, yeah i remember that too so so but yeah you could probably skip that Hitchhiker's one. Guide to the galaxy definitely read those oh uh, they the, you have to um also, you know, I mean, I mentioned it in my comments uh, to your blog post. Tom Robbins, if you've never read this guy, he is so funny. Skinny legs and all and jitterbug perfume. I don't have the words, and therefore I didn't mention it, honestly. Like, I cannot express how I feel about Tom Robbins because I Can feel Can you express that. it non-verbally? I, that would be Probably hard in an interpretive dance. Okay. But I mean, no, literally, I, he literally Our changed. Our video blog is coming Talk soon. about change your life fiction. I mean, yeah. it, it is... It, it it is really pulling back the curtain. I mean, it in in a literal and figurative sense, it is. His storytelling. He will is change your life. And phenomenal. His, he spends yeah. two to three years to write a book, and <clears throat> and and does for for fiction his ability to go in and study and research. Which for for fiction, a lot of times you don't do that. You just kind of make up whatever you want to make up. And mm-hmm. no, he mm-hmm. really very much Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Very. Um, he really studies and researches and makes sure that what he's talking about really is true. Yeah. Um, so I highly recommend anything by Tom Robbins. Just amazing yeah. stuff. Star Wars, by the way, I do have to mention the Thrawn trilogy. You should pick up the Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command. Uh, because that was, before it all got erased, that was the first time someone had written a book outside of the original trilogy movies. So for the, every, everything that was written about Star Wars was in between A New Hope and Return of the Jedi. And then in 1990, Timothy Zahn went, you know what, what happened afterward? Yeah. And he was the first one to do it. Ever since then, everything's been it, it kind of been watered down, but that was the first one. It was an amazing look at what happened afterward. Now it's all changed, so if you do read this, realize that it has absolutely nothing to do with The Force Awakens. <laughs> it's all changed, and if that bothers you, we need to have a talk about which fictional stories mean more than other fictional stories. <laughs> it's gotta be canon, Hint, man. It's none gotta of be them. Right. <laughs> You've gotta learn. Yeah, we'll have to have a conversation. Not a hoax, not an imaginary story. 
I accept that they all are. It wasn't just a dream. <laughs> I do want to mention, we do have some, some people on our, our Facebook page, the Okie Geek Podcast Facebook. Jonathan Groth had mentioned about the Dresden Files. Jonathan Groth, yes. Groth, sorry. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, Vinton Jeff Blake. <gasps> Bain. Je- Vinton Hi, Jeff Bain. Vinton talked about Ready Player One. Yeah. Again, oh, pick this book up. It's so much fun. So wait, let me let me back to Dresden Files. No other Dresden Files readers in this room? No. I'm sorry. I, no. Uh, yeah, I recommend those. Okay. Um, they, if you read the first one and don't love it, who's go the, ahead and read the second one. Who's the is protagonist? It, is um, it a historical biography? No. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's like a urban <laughs> fantasy. Okay. Um, I, I have read that. Yeah. Which, there's a lot of them. I think no, there are 14 I, or I 15 of them now. the first or second. Yeah. Really? Yeah, no, they're yeah. really good. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And and really solid, like, like world building, you know, you know um, yeah. um, be- m- more or less believable escalation of the threat so that you're cool. following the same, pr- the same protagonist and, you know, like he levels up and the bad guy. It's not one bad guy, you know, like. The it's like the big bad at the end. And yeah, yeah. It, those are really good. And there's a bunch of them. So knowing that we're probably talking to voracious readers right now, mm-hmm. if you haven't started them, there are 15 or so. Get so go now. nuts. You know? <laughs> Do you ever feel like that's one of the problems, that there are just so many books it gets to be overwhelming? I mean, I look over in classic sections. You know, you look at some of the classics. I, I, I've never read Great Expectations. I should probably read that at some point. You know, there are some books out there that I really should at some point mm-hmm. read. I, Go ahead. Devin has feelings. I kind of feel like there are certain classics, and this is probably blasphemy. Who cares? Um, <laughs> that okay. you've, you've picked up on the cultural touchstone enough that you could possibly skip it. You know, I mean, I hate to say it, but there's, there's only so much time in this life. And, you know, some of those classics you've, you've picked up just from being a part of this culture sure. to know, you know, for instance, who the great Gatsby is and, yes. and, and what, you know, that kind of thing. That, that's just my opinion. That's true. Now, see, but I would never tell somebody, I would never go that way with, for example, Lord of the Rings. I mm-hmm. think that you should read. Now you might not like it. You might, it might not be a cup of tea, but I think that everybody should read the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings just because mm-hmm. that gets you a basis of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so having been the comic book evangelist my whole life, like trying to get people to read more yeah. comics, it probably impacts my my feelings on suggesting books to people because it depends on what your your goal is. Like if my goal of I would like people to read more fantasy or to give a, the fantasy genre a try, I am not necessarily going to hand every single one of the people I feel that way the Lord of the Rings because it's not – it is not a traditional, it's not, it does not follow story structure. Like it does not follow what we expect from story structure. It's a classical mm-hmm. romance and that's not for everybody mm-hmm. um, in much the same way that the Brothers Karamazov might not be for everybody, that that Moby Dick might not be for everybody, that the Dresden Files might not be for everybody because they might immediately go, werewolves, what? You know, I mean, like, So if I want, if my goal is to get them to try a genre that I love, then I'm going to try and tailor that suggestion to something I think they're actually going to enjoy, as opposed to you, you, I want to hand you this because it's a seminal work when it could put them off of that genre. If somebody somebody wants to to do like a vampire book, so I'm going to hand them interview with a vampire and the vampire Lestat, not Mm -hmm. Twilight. 
Oh, thank God. <laughs> I hope so. But I'd rather you hand them Sunshine by Robin. What's her last name? Anyway, it's called Sunshine, and it's the best. Robin yeah. McKinley. Sorry. Vampire novel? Yeah. Oh, oh my know. gosh. Neil Gaiman, the book quote on mm-hmm. the blurb says pretty much perfect, period. Wow. Yeah. If Sunshine, Robin McKinley. Can, can I ask a quick question? And maybe it won't be a quick question. <laughs> <laughs> there are you, no quick questions in, in this, this room. In this, <laughs> right. No, but do you feel like authors now are, maybe it's part of the industrial literary machine. You know, when they strike on something that works, they have, they're kind of hamstrung and they have to stay in that universe. And I'm, I'm really feeling like J.K. Rowling. You know, I feel like she's so talented. It almost makes me a little sad that she can't seem to get out. I mean, the, the universe she created is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she's doing the, the beast of the whatever, whatever, magical mm-hmm. beast stuff now. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think 50 years ago, I mean, if, it, if, if um, Steinbeck had written of Mice and Men today or East of Eden, do you think he would have to do a series of 10, you know, with those same characters because they were a successful, I don't know. I mean, is that, is that good for, you know, I think, I think you're, at, you're actually on onto something because for example, you look at Harper Lee's uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, very, very popular at the time. And then she didn't write a thing again. And now there's a new book that's been coming out, but that was written back then and no one published it. No one thought anything about it. I think there would be a push by publishers if, Herman Melville was, mm-hmm. you know, when, when mm-hmm. Moby Dick came out, there would have been, oh, now you've got to write a sequel to that. Or a know? prequel. Huh? Or, or a prequel, or you've got to write, so you, or, or make just a whole new, but it's got to be something about, there's got to be a whale in it. Right. I think you're right. I think there is a push for that nowadays. Is it a I'm, net positive or a net negative? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a little historical perspective on publishing and, and disagree with the, you guys' stance a little bit, yeah. Because I think that no. when you well, <laughs> surprise, when you, surprise, surprise, when you look at those those kinds of like like a Melville or Harper Lee or something like that, you're looking at somebody who did not make their living as a writer, or at least not as a novelist, right? Okay. So now what you're talking about is, uh, I think that to a certain extent, the 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 publishing machine. You're talking about people who want to make their living. As, as sure. a novelist, okay, and so if they have a novel that becomes uh, popular enough that people will buy more novels with that hero or set in that world or whatever, if they want to make a living doing it, they're going. That's that's what they're going to do. It's not even money chasing because there's not that money that much money in book publishing. It's just I want to make a living writing these novels, and that was not really novelist was not a job, right? For most of the publishing industry, you wrote, especially if you were looking at literary fiction, sure. you wrote one, maybe two, and and it was great, and it was a work of art, and maybe you know it caught on. And it was something you did in your spare time, but then you, you died else. penniless, you know, yeah. <laughs> or at least you didn't you yeah. didn't make the money from the book. The flip of this is um, uh, like pulp writers who were getting paid by the word, like they were people who wanted oh, to, yeah. to make their living as a writer, so they're getting paid a penny or two a word to just crank out detective stories or romance stories or Westerns or, or Westerns whatever or sci-fi, it was. sci-fi, which was really, yeah. yeah, they were all big back in the, the turn of the century, um, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I feel like it's a bit of a false dichotomy uh, approaching it the way that you did because it's more like just two different facets of the, of the publishing industry that we now look at as kind of monolithic and 
So you think the two have kind of converged? Yeah, I think some... we're a more, it's cheaper and easier to get, especially now e-publishing and stuff. Right. It's cheaper and easier to get books in front of, air quotes, the masses, which is what pulps used, their job used to be. And books used to be really expensive and complicated mm-hmm. to and make. And people have gotten a lot fatter. And shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> the masses have gotten a lot. Oh, wait a minute. Masses are more massive. So yeah, now I think I think they, yeah, they they're, it's less of a two tier business. That's what it, that's what I think. And yeah. I, yeah. And I do want to also I, mention. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. oh, I was just laughing. Oh, okay. Oh. And we're I'm looking like, at Devin expectantly. Right. Like, what? I didn't. Got something to <laughs> I didn't do anything. I, I didn't do anything. I was just going to mention that, that Vonnegut got shelved into the sci-fi that's true. genre, for instance, and didn't really want to be. And it it was, you know, much easier to shove someone in a genre once they'd written a couple of genre-esque. So if anything, it's easier maybe to break out of your genre nowadays, but I don't. And it's also sci-fi. To this, it's tough. To this day, it's actually hard yeah, any which it, way. Really, yeah. Yeah. Sci-fi, it, it, sci-fi it's, is it's so hard too because it, it's anything. Now, you know, mm-hmm. most horrors are listed as sci-fi. Most, you know, right. it. I don't, sometimes sci-fi gets such a broad mm-hmm. paint stroke that, you know, sci-fi is hard. Well, it's, it's not. I mean, most of the most of the genres that we tend to geek out about are not actually genres. They're more like super categories where yes. I can have a romance that is a sci-fi. I can have sure. an adventure that is a sci-fi. And it's the it's the stuff that's going on around the actual genre that it is that then it gets just like put over here in sci-fi because there's laser guns or they're in mm-hmm. space or whatever. Right. Well, and I think that's why there's 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 a push to try and try and pigeonhole most sci-fi to to where you've got post-apocalyptic or you've got space opera or you've got you know so that way you've got a kind of an idea of what sci-fi is i think for the longest time sci-fi was anything that took place anywhere that was kind of more futuristic than now which of course could mean next year that's not really sci-fi you know or sort of now as it's put on the the new channel, um, but science, no. science fiction. No, <laughs> no, no. Well, that's why they've nope. changed it. It's because it's not sci- a lot of times. Terrible it's not science rebranding. fiction. Yes, yeah, horrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that yeah. they did that so that they wouldn't be branded with science fiction. Right. They didn't want to be. They want to do rest. They want to have wrestling and they uh. want to have Sharknado. And they want to have a space western. Yeah. Darn it. I don't um, have anything left to say on this. <laughs> well, I do. Want, I do want to, another shout out from from uh, uh, from Benton. Benton. Uh, mentioned the uh, short story writer R.A. Lafferty. And uh, I don't know much about him. Apparently, as, as he wrote down, uh, Neil Gaiman describes him as the king of short stories. And he's from Oklahoma. Oh, wow. So if you haven't that checked him out. name is really familiar, but I... It is. And there's, there, on, our, on our webpage, uh, Vinton has put a link to a, a This Land Press article about R.A. Lafferty. So go over to... The Okie Geek Podcast Facebook, there is a, a link there. And I think that's something that we should all, if we don't know who are, if for, first off, short stories. That's I love short stories because they're short. I can actually do them very quickly. I hate short stories because writing them is really hard. Yeah. I was going to say. It's the hardest thing. Sure. You've Novels put, are easier. Yeah. You've got to put a <laughs> whole bunch of information into a very little tiny space, and yet it's got to be a full narrative well mm-hmm. well written narrative yeah. that's that's not always easy to do so but that's why if you can find a great author who can write them yeah uh, no Stephen that's, King, some yeah. of Stephen King's best I um, think were yeah. short stories mm-hmm. um, so that Ursula, is that is Ursula like my, K. Le Guin yeah. she's another one yeah she can, that is that is sort of my uh, when I talk to like beginning writers and I give advice that uh, they're like I'm, I'm gonna try out short stories 
I'm like, new, those are, yes, they're great because you'll finish them, right? Like a lot of people get lost in the middle of their novel and don't Mm -hmm. finish it. And that's, that's bad. Um, I mean, if you want to become a person who finishes the thing that they're writing. So I'm like, no, 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 novellas. Yeah, no, there you go. Yeah. Right. Like they are the sweet spot. You, they're not long enough to get lost in the middle of, mm-hmm. but they're not so short that every single word has to land. And that's, yeah. You may hear some personal animosity between me and the concept of short stories as a no, writer, it's right? It's hard. It's just really hard. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of short <laughs> so stories. So when you get good yeah. ones, yeah, that guy is amazing. Yeah. Coming from a journalistic perspective, I totally get that. You have to cram a certain amount of information in a very tight space. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be well make written. every word count because yeah. you only have, yeah. That's why I say yeah. Stephen, some of Stephen King's short stories. Oh. Absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. yeah. Okay, finally, um, are there any books that are coming out that you are excited about? I'll open that one up to anybody who wants to talk about. Yes, Devin. Um, if you haven't read the Flood Trilogy by Margaret Atwood, you probably should. Well, you definitely should. Yeah. Um, Oryx That's and Crake is the first one, and um, a Year of the Flood, I believe, is the final one. I, I'm blanking on the middle one, but it's the Flood Trilogy Again, Margaret Atwood, one of my absolute favorite authors. And the reason I say that you should get on that now is it's actually being adapted into a TV series. And I'm curious how that's going to go because it's Darren Aronofsky is who is. Well, then it'll of, be terrible. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's, well, that's just me being incendiary. See, I'm not serious. That's me being cynical because I'm torn on him. I mean, I, Pi was amazing. Yeah. And then we get Requiem for a Dream, which was icky. Um, so, but no, uh, jump on that now because they are fantastic books. She is a fantastic writer. And, um, and again, it'll be all a buzz here, you know, come very soon. You'll be sick of hearing about it and you'll know what you're talking about. There you go. Be ready to go for it. Josh. Um, it's interesting that, uh, Jonathan mentioned the Dresden files because the author of those many, many books is uh, Jim Butcher and, uh, he, he has a complete, I think, five or six book kind of high fantasy series uh, that's really enjoyable. And then he's got all of these, you know, 15 or 16 Dresden books, which uh, which are all pretty good mm-hmm. uh, that range from pretty good to great. Uh, but he has, I think, next month um, a a new it's part of it's supposed to be beginning a new series called the um, what's the Cinder Spire series. I'm honestly not sure what the first book is going to be called. It's uh like steampunk airships Ooh, kind of thing. I, love steampunk. I I have I'm really kind of excited to look at it because steampunk um is a like gives me a headache as a genre mm-hmm. because it's not really about anything but it has cool look. That's why I love right? it. No, yeah. Except no, for like but, as but, a, does that, but does that work for a novel? As a cosplay, yeah. Yeah. I get oh, it. Oh yeah. Steampunk's amazing. Where as a as team? an actual like like genre mm-hmm. I'm like it needs to be about something and I don't know what it's about so I'm and 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 uh and the thing about butcher is like he cranks out books he knows story structure he actually put a friend of mine off of his uh, uh Dresden books because he follows the formula and my buddy saw the formula and I was like that's not a bug that's a feature you know yeah. um so I, I'm really excited to see his approach to to the steampunk thing and also to just see him start you know start a new series mm-hmm. that isn't um I think he wrote the fantasy series first. What is the fantasy series? Books of Alera. Well, uh, I think he wrote. Good? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, try to find those are enjoyable, and they're pretty high fantasy. And I am not a high fantasy person, and I and I, I liked them. them. I love fantasy. I love so, high fantasy. It's... but like I think he wrote the first one of those before he did the Dresden Files, and then, like I said, if you don't like the first Dresden Files, I'm going to say, hey, go read another one or skip the first one entirely because it's a it's his, it's one of his early novels. Mm-hmm. So I'm ex- I say all that to say I'm excited to see him start a series this far into honing his craft. Like I'm really, oh, that thing is going to hit on all cylinders or I'm going to go, nope, yeah. gears and Sorry. goggles above the brim are not doing it for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like an acid test. <laughs> <laughs> See how that works. Chase, what are you excited about? I hate to be redundant, but I'm going to say I, I'm most excited for book five, mm-hmm. Years of Lyndon Johnson. It's coming out 2016 or, or 2017. <laughs> That's as specific as we can get. But uh, it's just, so unique to see a person who's spent his entire career on one historical figure and everything around that. I mean, really, this is 20th century American politics all in one. I mean, really, it's the, the best historical stuff I've ever read. I see. That's really good. Now, the, 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 I'm looking forward to two books, which could be awful. Uh, but I'm excited about them coming out. The first is, well, it's actually already out. And I just haven't read it yet, which is Armada by Ernest Klein, who is the same person who wrote Ready Player One. Hmm. Now, the problem is this is his second book. And it's a, so it's a sophomore oh, book. Oh, the so sophomore. You go, problem. well, if he's trying to be too much like the first one, which was a great, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't read it yet. We'll, we'll find out how that one's going. Um, is it in the same universe or is it a different? We don't know. Okay. And that's, I, I don't know anything about it. And so I'm waiting for a copy at the library. This is what's going on. Right. <laughs> Um, and, and Star Wars Aftermath, the journey to the Force Awakens. And Aftermath is exactly what, when I talked about Timothy Zahn's the Thrawn trilogies, this is the first book that happens after Return of the Jedi. This one's heading us into the direction of the Force Awakens, which happens 30 years after Return of the Jedi. So it's the first time to go, what, what did happen? Now that we know that this the whole EU is gone, what did happen between those past 30 years? So it's very exciting, but it could be not that great. Um, so I'm really I'm really looking forward to it. Those are coming out in September. So those those are the two books that I'm I'm looking forward to reading in the next few days. So can I nice. can I plug? Yeah, um, I want to plug a couple of independent authors. Um, I work in independent publishing. I publish myself uh, this way, so I want to plug a couple. Uh, C.B. Pratt. Um, I met her last year, and she has a uh, a series um, that starts with Hero for Hire, which is always free. She keeps that one free, and it's it is a lot of fun. It's like um, uh, I, I, hmm. It's not as gritty as Robert E. Howard, but I still want to say like a, like Greek Conan, like the guy is, he's a, a hero in the classical Greek sense who will work for money. So it's, it's kind of, you know, like a, a noir, a noir ish, like a hard boiled detective kind of spin on, uh, on, on that. And then she has a four or five of those. Um, I haven't, I'm not all the way to the end of them. They're really enjoyable. And I mentioned, I'll mention another one specifically because I'm sitting in a room with at least one person who really cares about high fantasy. Um, my friend Courtney Cantrell has a series called Legends of the Lightwalkers. And I've heard of that. I have ba- heard that. I, I don't know. I don't know because it's hard for indie books to kind of get, yeah. you, you know, that background buzz. But uh, yeah, I, will, I would recommend those. Um, if only because, I mean, fa- high fantasy, not my bag. 
Um, she has way too many elf words. She and I argue about this all the time. Nothing wrong with that. No, there is totally. <laughs> you have three. If you have a three apostrophes in your made up elf word, start over. <laughs> Put that aside. Um, but they're really though they're really uh, uh, enjoyable, high fantasy with some sort of complex. There were complex moral conversations for us to have at when I was beta reading them. And the latest one in the series is sort of a prequel um, called Dying of the Light. And it does a thing that I really like in um, high fantasy or any fantasy series where you get somebody who's from the real world sucked into, you know, into the fantasy thing. And he's actually from Oklahoma City and, you know, winds up and thinks. So it's, yeah. Um, I love those kinds of Pretty stories. enjoyable. Really yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would recommend them. Available where all fine ebooks are sold. There we go. <laughs> and and by the way, while we're on the subject, let's all make sure since we're talking about novels, prequels. The word prequel only is used in a reference of a book that is written after your main set of books that takes place before those main set of books. Who's screwing that up? Yeah. I'm hearing it all. Well, I heard that uh, uh, the movies that there's going to be a movie version of last year's season eight finale of Doctor Who. And since season nine is coming out, they are referencing it as it's it's the two book it's the prequels to season nine. Yeah. No, it's the season finale of season eight. Those are not yeah. prequels. I can see right. like from a marketing perspective why you would just want to try and cut through some confusion. Yes, but, but it's it's well, it's like the first time yeah. a lot of people are calling the Hobbit prequels. The Hobbit now the movies technically are because they are movies that you know, but. <clears throat> The book is not a prequel. Yeah, not really. It's a prelude. The movies totally are yeah. on purpose. Yeah. But, but they're yeah, but they're not good anyway. So different so things. Um, <laughs> Words mean things, people. They do. <laughs> they do. And prequel, and prequel, stop using the word prequel when it doesn't mean prequel. And stop so. using literally. Yeah, and stop using literally. literally. Stop oh. using literally. literally. Yeah, my head will explode if you <laughs> keep using literally. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, that's going to have to be it for us. We're running out of time. Uh, We're having too much fun. We are. You can find us on Twitter at Geek. Podcast. You can also like our new Facebook page, Okie Geek Podcast. We're up to 15 likes. Woohoo! Uh, yes. We need more, lots more. Please tell everyone about this. Okie Geek Podcast Facebook. You can send us an email with comments to okiegeekpodcast at gmail.com. Still waiting our, for our first email. Please send us an email. It's crickets. It's crickets, yes. Um, you can find us All on those people who yelled at me on my Facebook page about yeah, Firefly could have just emailed line. or Twittered me. And, and also, and put it on our Facebook page. That way, we can share with everybody. Yeah, and that way, we can lull from a distance. That's right. People, <laughs> you know, yelling at Josh. Instead of me having to go to Josh's Facebook and just look at that and see. <laughs> Nobody you know, wants that. There. Come on. Oh, come on. Uh, oh, hey, we're on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Uh, let's go with Josh. Where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Easiest place on Twitter at Joshua Unruh. J O S H U A U N R U H. Come and yell yeah. at me more about Firefly. Well, since we're we're talking, you know, books, they can find my personal journal in the men's room at the Seven Eleven on Hefner and May. <laughs> <laughs> they want to know my thoughts on life. Um, Here I sit, broken hearted. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I thought that was going to be a live <laughs> journal joke, and then it got even better. better. No, I'm at Chase Harvick on Twitter. There we go. Uh, Devin. Oh, you can find me anywhere pretty much on the World Wide Web at Wubba. That's at sign W-U-V-V-A. Yeah, and you the, can just search Devin Green. Devin Green. I'm on the Twitter sphere at KOSU Michael C. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast. Also rate us and leave a comment. 
Until next time, for Chase Harvick, Devin Green, and Joshua Unruh, I'm Michael Cross reminding you to keep calm and geek on.